Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're in Florida talking to Dave Coles about researching and writing stories about movements. Together with Victor John, Dave is the author of Bojapuri Breakthrough. It's a story of a multiplying movement in northern India. I uh, was based in Indonesia for 24 years and there was involved in church planting along with uh, uh, some national partners, was able to plant one church, contextual church, but it did not multiply. And um, so during the course of that time, I started reading about church planting movements and was interested in that. And uh, so tried to begin implementing some of those things, but realized um, my partners were not interested in going that route. And so uh, I began reading more, applying more, and also editing some materials of training for church planting movements that was used with national believers. And um, so then... I ended up connecting more and more with what was happening with movements. And I was very curious because I'd heard so much Mm. and it was exciting as I began to get actual connections to be able to meet some of the people who were involved in leading some of these movements. So that was very powerful for me. And uh, so over the course of five, six, seven years, uh, was a gradual transition where I realized probably the most strategic thing that I could do would be to help encourage, give a voice to, however I could assist what was actually happening in movements rather than me being the guy to try to start a movement myself. Um, I had actually first met Victor uh, many years prior to that. He had come to Indonesia and had done a brief training in our city. So I knew of him and uh, in 2011 or 12, when we were hosting trainings in various places, we did one in India and uh, he and uh, some of his coworkers came and assisted, but I didn't really know him personally then. He had no idea who I was. And uh, then I was part of a group that visited um, Varanasi and saw some of what was happening there. And we did a prayer walk and visited a few locations. But it wasn't until a year or two after that that uh, I actually got connected more personally with him. And uh, my teammates and I were uh, basically saying to him, how can we, is there anything we can do to help to encourage you in what's happening? Obviously, you guys are doing a fine job here, but um, is there a way that we could be useful to you? And it was at that point that um, he said, well, you know, this movement's been going on for over 20 years now, and I think it may be time to tell the story. Could you help me with that? And I said, well, I will give it a shot. I'm not a professional writer. I'm not a professional editor, but you tell the stories. I'll scribble it down and see what we can do with it. The title is Bojpuri Breakthrough, a movement that keeps on moving. Okay. And we'll put a link on the website to that, let people know how they can get a hold of it. But what was it that drew you to a guy like Victor John? What was happening that got your attention? Well, there was a lot of stuff happening. I mean, I'd heard of the movement, obviously, for a long time, and I'd actually heard pros and cons, you know, heard amazing things are happening and heard people say, oh, no, no, I've been there. You don't see that happening. And uh, but things that I really appreciated were um, that Victor was very empowering in his approach and that it didn't depend on him. Uh, 
people didn't always look to him to see everything happen. They were very much uh, doing the stuff, following the Spirit of God. And in the process of the book, once we began uh, working on it, he introduced me to about uh, eight or ten other leaders in the movement. So it was... uh, it wasn't just Victor, it was others as well. And it was interesting to hear their take on how things were working in different cities, what was happening, their role, and how Victor had empowered them. One of the things I appreciate about Victor is he's humble. He has a great sense of humor. And um, he very much um, points out that this thing is not dependent on me. You know, this is the spirit of God. He's, he's not Superman, and he makes that very clear, and, and uh, we put that in the book, his description of, you know, people people ask, what did you do? How did this happen? As if they expect me to say, you know, I came, I saw, I worked a miracle, and he said, that's not how it works, mm-hmm. and um, so I really appreciated his humility. I appreciated how he encouraged others. Um, I enjoyed praying with him, and I enjoyed watching him interact with others in the movement. He's very dependent on the Spirit of God. He's not, uh, he's not telling everybody how to do things, and he's not coming into situations with, uh, with things all figured out. He's very much uh, listening to the Spirit. He's very much uh, sensitive to people and uh, very much looking to see what God's going to do in a situation. And uh, I appreciate the times where he narrated uh, cases where he actually would be surprised what by what God ended up doing, because it wasn't what he expected. He's very happy to have others lead. He's very happy to have others take the reins and um, to welcome others into things. I remember uh, at one point we were uh, we were in Varanasi and I was interviewing him about the various generations of the work and how things had developed. And um, he picked up his phone and he called one of his guys who had been part of the movement for quite a while and had him come over, and he said, uh, could you just draw a diagram of uh, the churches you've planted and the streams of that? And uh, so this this uh, simple brother, he, he didn't look like somebody amazing. He just sat down at a table, and he pulled out a little book full of writing. I presume it was in Hindi, and uh, he took a full sheet of paper and just started drawing, writing, and uh, it was marvelous. He, he ended up, he filled the whole sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11, and it had the locations, the points of the compass, and all of the streams of the various churches that had planted churches that had planted churches up to seven generations at that point. And, uh, and I love that little diagram. It's actually in the book. I blurred it enough that uh, people can't read the names of the people or the places, but uh, that's, that's an actual diagram that this brother drew as Victor invited him in to share his part of the story. And really, Victor has hundreds and hundreds of guys and, oh, yeah. and girls like that. Yeah. yeah, and one of the amazing things is that their organization, ASSI, doesn't have a huge staff, but they so much empower other organizations that the hundreds and hundreds mostly are not staff who report directly to Victor. They're mostly other leaders that have been trained, equipped, empowered, mentored, and so the movement is very much not under Victor's control. It's under the control of the Holy Spirit. People, the Bojpuri, I think, as of when the book was written, are 150 million, but the the movement has now impacted other groups as well, Um, other ethnic groups in other states, and in fact, 
one of the chapters includes a whole story of another brother I met over in the next province, uh, the next state over in Bihar, um, where God is working among the mightily people. And that was really fun to, to interview a brother who um, at first was inspired by Victor and then was challenged by Victor and then decided to try to implement these principles and to see how God used that among a different ethnic group there. Some of the principles included um, effective discipleship. So they're not trying to get converts. They're making disciples. And disciples includes people who make disciples. So they anticipate that, that all of those involved will be sharing the good news, will be leading others, will be um, baptizing them, training them to obey everything Jesus commanded. So as I mentioned before, it's very empowering, very encouraging. And one of the striking things was um, in a country like India, where women tend to have much lower status and not be treated very well sometimes, in the movement, they have equal status. Uh, I met many women leaders. In fact, the head of the organization, actually, uh, the legal organization is a woman. Um, and so women are empowered, including uh, women of low status become church planters and have people listen to the word of God and uh, follow it. So the principles there are uh, similar to what you might find in many movements. And that's been one of my joys in interviewing Victor and being able to dig into some of the details to say, now, how did this work? Um, and so, uh, for example, at the end of the book, we have a whole chapter that's frequently asked questions where, you know, I could ask things like, so what does a typical house church meeting look like? How does that work? Um, they also are very strong on uh, being a blessing to people. It's both an opening for the gospel and the fruit of the gospel. And so they have what they call um, community learning centers, which can be very broad to meet whatever needs they find in a community, whether it's education or health, sanitation. And so uh, he shared about a wide variety of things that these centers have done and how that has led to planting of churches. And in many cases, people who um, didn't have some other in would find doors open when they became community organizers, in a sense. And uh, so they're known as the person that blesses the community. In fact, the, uh, I was able to interview a couple of different uh, brothers who said, you know, before I interacted with Victor, I was trying to do traditional church planting, you know, knocking on doors, trying to share the gospel. Um, my identity was as a pastor, as a church planter. Nobody wanted to talk to me. Everybody would run away. But after I became uh, a community <laughs> learning center leader, Everybody wanted to talk to me, and they wanted to get to know me. Uh, one of them ended up being invited to uh, pray for politicians that, uh, you know, before the, the elections, they said, please come and come to my rally. And he said, I'll come to your rally, but I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus if you want me to pray. And he said, okay, just come as long as you pray. And, and so um, the Lord has worked in amazing ways through these rallies uh, or through the learning centers and through the holistic gospel that's being shared by the movement. Um, I, I know that there are uh, millions of people who have come to faith, and I won't even uh, cite the number of how many millions, mostly Hindus, uh, a few Muslims. So, and from the beginning, they've been inclusive and welcomed other churches, other groups to be part of what they're doing. 
And so if a church wants to multiply disciples, they're very welcome to come to get trained. And uh, yeah, I heard many stories of people like that, including the pastor I mentioned at Bihar. He said, you know, before we started doing things this way, I had 50 churches and I thought I was a big guy and that was really great. And uh, now I've got 350 and I feel like that's not nearly enough <laughs> because I see the potential of what God can do through multiplication. What other writing projects have you, have you been working on? Since um, Bojpuri Breakthrough, I've also been involved in editing a book called 2414, A Testimony to All Peoples. And that is a compilation of articles about church planting movements. And so we built that around the verse, Matthew 24, verse 14, which says, um, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so we use that as, as an outline of the framework of the book. So the first section is the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel? What is the kingdom? And then we focused on the nations. And uh, so we included testimonies from different parts of the world. We talked about what is a movement and how are these movements uh, growing in various places. We also included um, testimonies of some agencies, um, church uh, mission agencies who transitioned from a different approach to using a disciple-making movement approach, uh, testimonies of churches, how this has been applied in different church situations, and um, then individuals, how this has changed individuals' lives. And we included some definitions of terms so we could try to increase clarity of what's happening there. One of the areas I know you've been doing some work on is the typical uh, critiques or criticisms of, of uh, multiplying movements that, that mm -hmm. come up in order to, to make a good sort of uh, both truthful and biblical response. As I've looked at the various criticisms and concerns and objections, they fall into a different categories. Some are sincere questions that uh, people just aren't aware of what's actually happening. You know, they've heard bits and pieces, and I can understand that. For a number of years, that was me. You know, I was trying to plant churches, and I was hearing bits and pieces of what's going on in movements, and uh, not always sure. So how do I check this information? How, how do I know if this is for real or not? How do I, you know, how do I ask a follow-up question about this stuff? And for those who don't have access to that, it's understandable if they're confused or don't exactly know what's going on in these movements. So that's been a privilege I feel the Lord's given me to be able to interview not only Victor, but a couple of other uh, movement leaders and uh, to really get to know the inside and to first hear their story and then to ask follow-up questions, say, so tell me more about this. What about that? And... Um, and so what I found is, uh, as I mentioned, sometimes the critiques are just because people have misunderstood or don't know what's happening in most of the movements. Some of them are because they heard a proponent of movements that got really excited about things and was kind of sloppy in how they described it or sloppy in their exegesis and, and uh, you know, pulled some scriptures out that actually, eh, that's not exactly what that verse says. So sometimes uh, that's the problem. But in some cases, I think people are um, stuck in their paradigm of what they feel church is, how they've always seen it, how they believe it should happen. And um, they haven't yet grasped that God is doing a new thing. 
And this is outside the, the paradigm of church as you're used to it. Most of us are used to church being a place, a building you go to, a pastor who's paid on salary or multiple pastors and certain programs. And the paradigm of these movements is mostly house churches, uh, mostly leadership that is not paid to, to lead the church. And um, the, the general believers, the disciples are empowered to do baptisms, uh, to lead the Lord's Supper, uh, all kinds of things. And so there's a clergy laity assumption in a lot of Western churches that while it's not verbalized that way, I often hear in the background when people are challenging or criticizing movements, they're saying, you know, the word isn't being preached. Well, that's because nobody's standing behind a pulpit holding forth for 30 or 45 minutes. It's because all of the believers are studying the Bible together and uh, talking about how they can apply it. And so for me personally, I'm like, that is a way better way to do things than have everybody listen to a half hour lecture and go home and never talk about how they're going to apply it. So partly, I think it's a it's a paradigm thing. And some folks just, it seems to me, feel stuck in a previous paradigm that's actually less biblical than in some ways what's happening in the movements where the people, the disciples are grappling with scripture, how it applies, living it out together and sharing with one another. Well, let me throw you a couple of objections I hear. One, one is, um, you know, there's no substance to it because, uh, you know, there are all these figures about multiplication, but when you get up close, there's not a lot of that sustains. It's just little groups of people uh, meeting in homes and here today, gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say uh, for those who have that objection, they probably have never gotten close to any of the movements that I would count as movements. The definition that I use and that the 2414 Coalition uses is that uh, it isn't counted as a movement until you have consistent multiple stream fourth generation reproduction of indigenous churches. And so there's a lot of stuff happening out there that is not four generations of indigenous churches uh, multiplying to indigenous churches. A lot of times the, the criticisms are actually of a group that has one generation of churches, maybe one great guy who has you know planted all kinds of stuff, but it's, it's still first generation. Um, very, in fact, I think when then, whenever anybody has gotten close to a movement where it's four or more generations, and some of these are seven, 10, 19, 30 generations of disciples making disciples, churches planting churches, if they've gotten to actually see that, uh, there's no way they could say there isn't substance there. So, yeah, I freely grant that some people have a great reputation, but there's no substance. But uh, those aren't the movements that I'm talking about. And we do have careful criteria. How about the idea that uh, because uh, typically there aren't highly trained academic clergy who are well-trained in theology, so these movements are very susceptible to moving into heresy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, two things are very helpful in keeping these movements from heresy. One is if you look historically or even in the current situation, Heresies mostly come from one very charismatic person 
who is so amazing in their speaking that people just believe what they say. And I could name some famous people and you'd say, yeah, yeah, people just think they're so amazing when he says it or she says it, they assume it's true. You don't have that in movements. In movements, you have all of the disciples assuming that they should all study the scripture and look and see, is this true or not? And so they're in the habit, uh, week by week, gathering by gathering, of saying, I don't really see that in the scripture here. Uh, So that's one thing. Uh, When you have God's people actively engaging with the scripture, you're actually less likely to have heresy than when they just follow someone else's teaching. But the other key thing is that the leaders of most of these movements are connected in some way with the historic and global evangelical church. All of the movement leaders that I've met, uh, I've met um, through connections, and uh, often they're at conferences of what's happening in the world. And so they're rubbing shoulders with other leaders. They're rubbing shoulders with uh, people who do have degrees. And in fact, many of the leaders of these movements were pastors before the movement started. Uh, Some of them do have uh, theological degrees. Some have PhDs or are getting PhDs. And so it's not like these movements are happening in some isolated place and, uh, and nobody knows what's going on or they're disconnected. There are some groups doing that, but usually, again, those are not the church planting movements. Uh, some of those are movements going by a different name. How about um, this whole criticism of the term rapid? So we're going for rapid multiplication the result of that is it's it's a mile wide and half an inch deep. In other words, mm-hmm. we're not really making disciples, uh, godly leaders, because the whole focus is quick, quick, quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that's not the whole focus in these movements. Uh, speed is not the goal. <laughs> the goal is being a real disciple and obeying what Jesus said to do. So what you have is people applying uh, the word of God. Number one, when they read it, they assume they should obey what it says. Uh, They assume they should be telling others the news. So that's one thing. When you have people that are regularly sharing the gospel, it grows faster than when you have people that generally are not sharing the gospel, which is the case in many of the the critics of these movements. Secondly, um, house churches... Uh, are a model that takes much less time, energy, and resources than traditional churches. If you think traditional church, you need a pastor who has been to seminary for many years. You need a church building that costs money and takes time to build. So if you're not dependent on a building or a paid, highly educated clergy, you can reproduce much faster. And so... Uh, Partly it's because just of the approach that they're using that suddenly things can happen more quickly. So again, it's not a goal. The goal is obedience. And because of obedience and a simple model, things can multiply more rapidly. One other comment I'll make on on the rapidly part is you see in uh, one of Paul's letters, he says, uh, this is to the Thessalonians, Pray for us that the word of God will spread rapidly, just as it did among you. And so, you know, we see the scripture is in favor of rapid growth. It's not a goal. It's not the purpose of movements. But 
God's in favor, you know? If we have a choice of many people quickly getting saved and growing as disciples, or not many people and slow growth, which would we prefer? We want to see a lot of people come to faith. And also, um, again, we're not looking for converts. We're looking for disciples who make disciples. And so the, uh, the accusation that it's a mile wide and an inch deep generally is the case where it's been one generation of churches, of people who came to faith, and it was a shallow faith. And, um, you know, they might have just professed it because the movie was good that they watched or whatever it was, but that doesn't tend to reproduce. When it's a mile wide and an inch deep, you don't have four generations of people leading others to faith who lead others to faith who lead others to faith. So when you've got that happening, that's the real deal. That is that can never be an inch deep. It may be happening in India and uh, Africa and Latin America and Asia, but the West is different. Um, it won't happen here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm happy to say that that's not true. <laughs> Whenever we tell God he can't do something, he likes to surprise us. So it's, it is true that much more of uh, these movements, many more of these movements are happening in Africa and in Asia. And there are a number of dynamics at work there. Uh, Jerry Trousdale and Glenn Sunshine in their book, The Kingdom Unleashed, grapple with this dynamic of why is it happening so much more there than here? So there's a reality there, and they cover a bunch of uh, reasons for that. But uh, the fact is that there are some movements happening in the West. There are some in North America. There are some in Europe. And um, they're way under the radar. Uh, in fact, um, mostly those that are happening in the U.S. or in Europe uh, are, are as under the radar as ones in radical Muslim environments or radical Hindu environments. So uh, we don't see them a lot. Even to the extent that they're there, they're not advertising. They're not putting up a sign and saying, hey, look at our movement, or saying, hey, why don't you all come to our town and and visit what God's doing here? So they are, by design, fairly invisible at this point, even though they do exist. Okay. Well, David, what's what's next for you? Uh, I've talked with Victor John about the possibility of a second book. Uh, actually, he initiated that, and uh, we might get started on that. So we've we've not really started. We've just kind of kicked around some ideas. Um, also, after a recent symposium, I got an email from a brother who was there and said, uh, I'm involved in a couple of research projects. Any chance you might be able to help me uh, with those, uh, getting those published? And I said, uh, maybe. Uh, tell me what you're working on, and uh, we'll see. So those kinds of things. Again, it's, um, I don't feel like I'm steering the ship at this point. I'm basically asking God, what are the things that will most honor you by helping people be aware of how you're at work in these movements? Because I think these movements are among the most exciting things happening in the world today. Visit movements.net, episode 234. And you can follow the links to find out how you can access uh, some of Dave's uh, great resources and the books that he's written. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.